following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, the movie that we're looking at today is The Pursuit of Happiness, and it's a it's a movie based on a true story about a guy named Chris Gardner. And you heard in the in the preview that um, this, you heard the, the announcer say, uh, Chris was doing his best, but his best wasn't good enough. And he encounters all of these hardships, just setback after setback. He gets kicked out of his apartment. His wife leaves him. He loses his job. He loses his income. Eventually, he loses all of his money, gets arrested because he didn't pay his parking tickets and spends his last money and paying the tickets and getting bailed out of jail and one hardship after another. And so uh, we want to show you this first clip. This kind of sets up the whole premise of the movie. Here's the first one. I got two questions for you. What do you do, and how do you do it? <laughs> I'm a stockbroker. Stockbroker? Oh. Had to go to college to be a stockbroker, huh? You don't have to. Had to be good with numbers and good with people. That's it. Hey, you take care. Hey, I'm going to let you hang on to my car for the weekend, but I need it back for Monday. Feed the meter. Still remember that moment. They all look so happy to me. Why couldn't I look like that? Right from the start, we see that he is making a connection in his own heart between Ferrari, wealth, uh, having all the money you could possibly want enough, obviously, to be rich and uh, have an awesome red Ferrari and connecting that to being happy. Happiness comes along with wealth. And uh, so he has this incredible drive to succeed. He wants to provide a better life for for his son. He and his five-year-old boy, they end up homeless and and out on the streets, and, and he is just persevering. He is determined. He's going to make a better life for his kid. He's not going to have him suffer through life, uh, being homeless and all the things that come along with poverty, and he fights like crazy to get out of that. And, uh, and then he begins to just, it just gets worse and worse. And so at this point in the movie, it's the, the bottom point for Chris and his son struggling through the tragedy of poverty and homelessness. And you see at the end of the movie, and I don't want to give it all away if you're going to, if you want to see it, and I recommend that you do. I love this movie. Uh, it starts a little slow, at least for me, for my taste. I love movies. I love action. So if something isn't blown up in the first three minutes, I sort of lose interest. But uh, this is so it builds slowly, but then it really gets going and has a very powerful ending. But 
the message is clearly communicated, very clear, that happiness is achieved when you have wealth. When you get to that place where you have so much money and resources that you can eliminate all of the hardships that you'll face. And this is, this is at the core. This is the core of our, the message of our culture. Our message, the culture teaches to us over and over everywhere, everywhere you look, is that if you can attain wealth, if you can become wealthy, then you will achieve happiness. Now, I need to tell you, I am not against being rich or having all your needs met. I hate poverty. Let me tell you, I have never been rich, but I have been poor, and I'd rather be rich, okay? And I see poverty, how it ruins our community and how literally demonic forces have enslaved whole segments of our culture through poverty. And so I I hate poverty. And I think as a Christian, there's no way you can take a stance of poverty that that's from God's point of view. He wants us to be poor. I mean, Philippians 4.19 makes it pretty clear. I think if you read that, you'll see that God does not want us to be poor. He wants us to have all of our needs met. And even more than that, and we'll, we'll build upon this as we go, but you'll see that God does not want you to suffer. God is against suffering. We'll get, look at that a little bit later. But from the Christian point of view, this movie raises, I think, an even greater question beyond this whole concept of how happiness is achieved through wealth. And it's the the issue that if God is so good, I mean, Christians talk about how great Jesus is, but if Jesus is so great, then why do great guys like Chris Gardner, who loves his son, loves his family, works hard, perseveres, why do bad things happen to great people? I mean, it makes sense, right, if bad things happen to bad people. And we can just say, well, that's karma and they deserve it. But when bad things happen to really great people, that, I think, is an indictment against God. That's, that brings up a whole other issue. And I think perhaps for some people, their number one objection to Christianity and to God himself for Christians and pre-Christians is the concept of suffering. And if you don't believe me, then wait till you have a chance or an opportunity to suffer. And then we'll see how you feel about it. But every culture from the beginning of time has had to wrestle with this concept. Every culture has had to come up with an answer for suffering. It's been an issue from the beginning of time. How are you going to to address suffering? How do you find meaning and purpose? In suffering, Because if you can find meaning and purpose, then that, that, that empowers you as a culture to deal with the issue of suffering. If there is no meaning, if there is no purpose, then all you have is hopelessness. And we find all throughout anthropology that cultures who are not able to come up with, a, with an answer or reason for suffering, those cultures die. They are destroyed. They die off completely. They don't exist. They don't continue on because they have no hope. So I think you have to answer three questions to really take a serious look at this. And the first question is, 
Why does God allow this? If God is all-powerful, and at any moment he can just go zap, then why on earth does he allow things like cancer and death and sickness and financial ruin and bankruptcy and divorce and so on and so Number two, how does God feel about it? And I need to know the answer to this. Because if I'm going to give my life to God and follow Jesus, then I need to know how he feels about it. Is he indifferent towards my suffering? Does he care? Does he not care? What does he think? Does he want, want it to go away? Does he want it to continue? I need to know what God's position is on my suffering. And the last question is, is there anything that I can do about it? Am I stuck with this? Do I have to just accept the way my life is, go on in misery, or can it change? Is there anything that can be done? Well, to answer the first question, why does God allow this to happen? I think you have to begin with the book of Genesis. At the beginning of the Bible, you see the story of mankind. It's the Christian point of view on how the universe began. And in that, you have a story of this perfect environment. That God creates this perfect environment for this man and this woman. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 25, you see that it is so perfect that Adam and Eve are both completely naked and feel no shame. They're not embarrassed. They're not self-conscious. They're not worried. It's not just that they're the only two people in the woods. It's that they have no shame. Shame. No shame, no guilt. They are in perfect harmony with their environment and with God. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no suffering. There's no pain. They've never cried before. There's no weeping. They've never hurt. They've never ached. They've never experienced loss or ruin or failure. It's this incredible environment where they're just enjoying the presence of God and God is enjoying them. And we see stories about how God and Adam are walking together and fellowshipping. And God created them to exist in that perfect environment forever, for all of eternity. And so they were made as beings to last forever. And I think that's why when somebody dies... We have this sense of great loss, a sense of this is wrong, especially when they die young. If somebody you know, lives a full life and we could kind of just say, yeah, okay, well, they live till they're 90, so that, 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 that's fine. We still think it's wrong. You know, death feels wrong. And especially when they're young, when they haven't lived that full life, somebody dies at two or three It just seems wrong. It's not right. Because we were made to live forever. That's the way God made us. He didn't make us as temporary beings. He made us to be there for all of eternity. So it sort of answers partly question number two. It addresses the first question. And question number two is partly addressed in this because how does he feel about it? Well, obviously, God is 100% against suffering because he created a world where there wasn't any. Just like in the movie The Matrix, when they're having this discussion, the, the, uh, 
architect is having this discussion with Neo, and he says, "We, the Matrix, the first Matrix was a total failure because uh, it was a perfect environment. Everybody rejected it because they're so used to an imperfect environment and suffering. But here, this was a perfect environment that God created with zero suffering. It has something to say about how he feels about it. But not all of that is answered that way. We'll come back to that. So man is in the garden, and it's just, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's perfect. But in order for man to be able to fully embrace God, as God embraces him, Man had to have this capacity to love. God created man in his image. A part of him is in mankind. And that part is the part that has the capacity to love. No other created being has that. I know you think your dog loves you. (laughs) And your cat loves you but they do not have the capacity to love you. And you may love your plants, but your plants can't love you back. Only mankind, humanity, has the capability of loving. But you have to understand, how do you make that inside of a person? How do you make a person able to have love and share love and receive love and give love? You have to give them full and complete capability of choosing. Because isn't that really the essence of love? The essence of love is that you're the, I see all of your flaws, I see all of your sins, I see all that's terrible about you, and I choose you anyway. That's love. That I see you as you are, I see you complete, and I love you anyway. I choose you. That's love. I mean, love is not, the Bible says love is not when somebody loves you and you love them back. That's not love. Love is when you see the worst, when you experience the worst, and you say, I choose you in spite of that. And so God gave man the capacity to love him back. And in doing so, he had to give him the capacity to reject him make the choice on his own. If I tell you, you love me or I'm going to kill you, do you love me? No. I mean, you, you probably will pretend like it. <laughs> love me and I'll give you a billion dollars. Do you love me? You're going to work at it. <laughs> but do you really or do you just want the money? You see? You see the dilemma? You see, love has to be given freely. And so Adam and Eve were given the the power to choose. They could choose to love God and obey Him and do what He says and trust Him or reject it and to say no. To not have the ability to choose would be to not be human. But by doing so, evil was brought into the world. 
in that perfect environment where there's no suffering and no evil, evil came into that paradise garden through the hearts of Adam and Eve. Their hearts rejected God. They said, no, we won't listen to you, we won't trust you, and we're going to disobey and do what the serpent tells us to do. And so then evil comes through their hearts into our world, into the garden, and ruins everything. In chapter 3, it has this synopsis. This is God speaking to Adam and Eve, and it's his judgment. He says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Isn't that just like a great description of your life and mine? (laughs) This feeling of always struggling, always fighting against something, you know? This curse of sin. When you get to heaven, you can just give Adam a right hook. Man, just, man, you ruined it for everybody. But evil came into the world through the hearts of men and women. Humanity is to blame for evil. Some people say, well, why doesn't Jesus then just destroy all of evil? I mean, when he came, he's the savior of the world. Why didn't he just eliminate all evil 2,000 years ago and then it would all be done for? Well, in the the movie, The Lord of the Rings, there's uh, there's this scene where um, Sauron or Saruman, he uh, comes on Theoden, the king of Rohan. And he, he, his, his eyes become blinded. He becomes crazy. And, and then Gandalf comes in and he breaks off that curse. And then he gives sort of this uh, sigh of regret. He says, that's the bad thing about evil. Wherever it is defeated... It always crops up somewhere else. Had Jesus come and removed all evil off the face of the earth, it would only take just one more generation of man and woman, humanity, and evil is ushered right back in. So Jesus had to defeat death once and for all. He had to eliminate evil completely and utterly and totally for once and for all time so that it never had another opportunity to come back in through the hearts of men. He had to end that. And so by sacrificing his own life for suffering himself, he won that right to grant that to anyone who would receive faith in him. By defeating death and sin, he made a way for us to be 100% free of suffering through the cross. The question, too, is how does God feel about it? Well, we know he doesn't like it because he created an environment initially for us that was 100% free of suffering. But how does he feel about it? How does he feel about me? How does he feel about my pain? And to understand that, you have to to see that you got to look at the cross. Look at how he responded on the cross, what he went through on the cross. Because Christianity is the only religion that exists today that has ever existed. That puts its faith 
in a suffering Savior. No other religion does that. In fact, John Dixon was giving a lecture on this topic in Sydney, Australia. And uh, afterwards, he opened up to a question and answer time, and this Muslim gentleman stand up, and he, say, he, he, was, he was angry. He said, How preposterous is the claim that the creator of the universe should be subjected to the forces of his own creation, that he would have to eat, sleep, and go to the toilet, let alone die on a cross. And he went on to explain how illogical it is that God would suffer at all, that God would lower himself at all to the level of humanity to relate to man in any way. God is above, men and women are below. And so Dixon couldn't think of you know, any way to, to really creatively refute that. So he just simply said to the gentleman, he said, thank you for helping me make the uniqueness of Christianity so clear. What the Muslim denounces as blasphemy the Christian holds precious that our God has wounds. Jesus suffered the most unimaginable suffering there is. I mean, it cannot be uh, duplicated. People have tried. You know, people have you know, literally sacrificed themselves on a cross, but it can never even come close to what Jesus went through. Not even close. And here's the reason why. Think of a time when you are separated from somebody that you love. You know, for me, the worst, worst time I can think of was when um, I was crazy in love with Joy. We were just, you know, in, just in the initial stages of our relationship. And, and I went away on a missions trip. And I was gone for nine weeks. And it's the first time I was ever separated from her longer than a day or two. And it got worse and worse and worse as the day went. I literally got sick, physically sick, in my longing for her. And maybe you've been separated from somebody you love. Maybe they've died and gone on. Or, or try and imagine that you're crazy in love with this person for 100 years. And then you're separated from them. The pain and agony that you would feel. But what if it was 200 years? That's a long time. That's, that's the length of our, our nation. And you're, you're madly in love with this person, and every day you're close to them, and you know them, and you know every fabric of their being, and you're one with them for 200 years, and then that is torn away from you? Try and imagine 500 years. I know you can't. But Jesus was one like that with a oneness that you and I have never, ever known for all of eternity with his father. And then in the twinkling of an eye, he was stripped away from that and isolated and cut off from that relationship. And the pain and the agony of that is beyond our ability to even cope how horrible that felt. I think that the physical pain he felt was nothing in comparison to being cut off from the Father. 
our God has wounds. Jesus had to endure this for one simple reason. So that mankind would have an opportunity to experience the same love that he had with his father. The same opportunity to have uh, the ability to be free. Completely, 100% free of suffering. Our God knows what suffering feels like. He knows how to comfort us in the midst of our struggles and our suffering because he's been there. And he knows what it feels like. You know, it's a big difference between taking comfort from somebody who's been there and taking comfort from somebody who's just read about it. It's a big difference. Not that people can't comfort us if they've just read about it. It's not true, but there's a huge difference. And our God has walked through the fire. Brings us to the last question Can something be done about it? And the answer is thank God, yes. Yes. We live in a world that produces suffering uninterrupted, continuously. Suffering is happening right now in this room, it's happening right now in our community, in our state, in our country, throughout the world. It never ends. From the point Adam and Eve brought sin and evil into the world, suffering began and has never stopped. Never stopped. Continuously. The loss of a loved one, debilitating painful illness, personal betrayal, financial ruin, moral failure, all of these will eventually fall on all of us. It's not a matter of will. It's simply a matter of when. Suffering is inevitable. But because this is true, nothing is more important than learning to find purpose and meaning in suffering. If you don't, you'll lose all hope and you'll never have a shot, have a shot at happiness. See, Buddhism says you just need to accept it. Karma says, you brought it on yourself, you deserve it. Fatalism says, just endure it. Atheism says, it doesn't exist, it's in your mind. Secularism says, avoid it at all costs. But Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, because I've walked in your shoes. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a personal God, that you can literally know him and have a relationship with him and walk with him as you would a friend. And a faith in Christ Jesus will equip you in suffering more than any other thing available to you on the planet. I think that's precisely why our culture always, always turns to Jesus in moments of national suffering. You remember 
right after that, how our whole country united together, Democrats and Republicans hugging each other. It only lasted a couple days, but it was there. And people were saying, let's all pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our president. Pray for the families that lost people in those two towers. Recently, the Newtown shootings, the whole nation again came together and sought out God and said, let's pray. In moments like these, the church offers our community more than theology, more than ritual, but true and genuine Christian community. It's the opportunity to come in alongside other Christians and walk with them as you face hardships and difficulty. You find prayer, support, love. Can Hollywood provide that for you? For anyone? The message of our culture is empty. It's shallow and it's hollow. The happiness is achieved through wealth. Great. Well, I've spent my whole life now pursuing that and I didn't get it. Now what? Am I just out of luck? No. Jesus makes us a different offer. He says, turn to me and I will lead you into eternal happiness and joy. I will walk through your suffering here on earth, but I have gone away to prepare a place for you. He said that to his disciples. He said, I'm going away and I'm preparing a place for you that's perfect. It's that perfect environment. There's no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no hardship, no failure. It's eternal joy and peace. A place absent of suffering. For the Christian this morning, I hope your response to what I'm saying today will be gratitude. Gratitude to a God that knows you and knows how you feel when you suffer and is willing to walk with you and provide to you all the comfort that you will ever need. For the pre-Christian here today, I hope your response to my words will be the choice to start a new relationship with Christ. Begin a new relationship with Him. Put your hope in Him. If you believe the message of the culture, you will be sorry. But if you follow Christ, He will never leave you down, let you down. He will never hurt you.